Before we jump in, a quick warning. This episode contains the depiction of traumatic events, including child sexual abuse and violence. We advise listener discretion. Whenever you're feeling ready and able, we hope that you'll join us. Kika's eyelids began to blink open. She saw a few people in funny outfits tending to her. Behind them, she saw light green walls with wooden window panes. The room smelled clean and she heard people whispering nearby. When she woke up, uh, she found that she was in a hospital and she couldn't know how she arrived in that hospital. The oddly dressed people began to recount the past few hours. Kika had been walking to her elementary school in North Kivu, a province in Congo. As she had walked with neighbors toward the classroom entrance, several rebel men had run towards her. Her friends ran away. They caught her, those bandits caught Kika, and uh, she fainted. I'm Christy. And I'm Chris. We're two college students sharing the stories of overcomers around the globe who love God and love others. On today's episode, we'll hear from Kika. She'll tell us about Heal Africa, the nonprofit organization that helps her flourish after a devastating, conflict-driven rape. We'll also learn about Heal Africa's initiatives to restore the North Kivu province from its war-ridden past. This is about a woman with a compassionate heart. This is about the great physician. This is Two Coins. Sago is a young Congolese woman with short hair, a round face, and wide eyes. You can spot her by the six beaded bracelets that often sit on her left wrist. Kika is now a college student studying nursing. She lives with four other young women near her university, and she appreciates their camaraderie and support. Outside of nursing classes, Kika volunteers at a Christian health organization called Heal Africa. She's particularly passionate about serving children and vulnerable women. When she graduates, she hopes to work there. Kika speaks French. This makes me especially excited to share her story with you because I'm majoring in French at Duke. You'll get to hear a couple recordings of Kika telling her story in French, and you'll also hear her translator, Bienfe, telling her story in English. Here's Kika. Moi, c'est Kika. Kika Sansango Marta. Je suis née dans le village de Chabunda. Kika grew up in Shibunda, a village in the south of the Kivu province, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Shibunda is an isolated region with lush forests. Not much information is available about the village, but a Relief Web article from the early 2000s reports no radio or postal services in the region. My childhood was not uh, easy because I grew up uh, just raised by my grandmother as my mother died when I was still very young. She loved her grandparents, but life was very difficult. They lived in poverty as her grandparents were chômeur, meaning unemployed. In the eastern part of DRC, especially in North Kivu province and South Kivu province, people are really poor because the war that uh, people have underwent from the history has put them in an extreme poverty that requires a global assistance to people, then people are jobless 
and they are facing problems that require medical care and treatment. And so people do not have enough means to sustain that. And if poverty and family life did not bring enough challenges, the Kivu province was fraught with ongoing war and violence between the Congo's Mai Mai armed groups and Rwandan invaders. Unfortunately, both groups contribute to extreme levels of crime and rape in Shibunda. The year was 2005. Every day, Kika left her home to go to the village of Shibunda. Every day, she attended classes, played with friends, and studied attentively. But one day, her routine was met with disaster. One day, as she was in a village, she went to school in the morning. Once to the school, there were bandits that uh, rushed into the, the, the school. As Kika walked down dirt roads lined with palm trees, four enemies were raiding the village of Shibunda. By the time she had arrived at her primary school, they had invaded the classroom. Her friends ran away. They caught her, those bandits caught Kika. Kika's friends all sprinted from the bandits, scattering and seeking shelter throughout the town. But Kika didn't make it. The bandits seized her. That was the last she remembered before she fainted. As her senses slowly revived, Kika noticed that she was no longer in a ransacked village school. She was dazed. Where was she? How did she get here? Her eyes opened to a tidy room where a medical team was tending to her. It was quiet and smelled impeccably clean. When I woke up at the hospital, I asked to the medical team how I arrived there. Then they started telling me that there was a man who brought me to the hospital and that uh, I was raped. Confused, violated, and agonized, Kika began to wail. She was without family, surrounded by strange people that she had never met. She begged for her grandparents, but the doctors had no clue where they were. The medical team began to comfort Kika. They explained that she was at Heal Africa's hospital in North Kivu. When the enemies had invaded her school, they had raped her. Some doctors from Médecins Sans Frontières, that's Doctors Without Borders, had found her and rushed her to the hospital. Now she was lying in a hospital bed, distressed and in pain from her torn bladder. When I was raped, uh, my, my urine pouch was torn during the rape. So at Shabunda, there are no specialists who, can, who could treat that. That's why I was transferred here at Hill Africa. And it took uh, many steps to, to fix my problem, my health problem, the, the problem I had from the rape. Kika's devastating story of rape was rooted in the rebel fighters in the Kivu province. I was wondering if conflict-based rape is common in the Congo. My co-host Chris did some research to find out. So Kika's experiences are by no means an exception in this region. Research shows that in the Congo, about 40% of women and about 25% of men experience sexual violence 
between 1994 and 2010. Also, research from the American Journal of Public Health found that about 1.8 million Congolese women experienced sexual violence during their lifetime. So would you mind telling me a little bit about the perpetrators of this violence? Like, is there a group that's causing this very often? So the vast majority of these incidents are associated with violent conflict in the region. It's often the case that armed groups that are fighting each other will use sexual violence and rape as a means to establish power over these communities that they're overseeing. But it's also the case that many people in the National Army and the police, they perpetuate much of the violence as well. And part of the reason for this is that when Congo was reunited after decades of conflict, many of the armed rebels were reintegrated into the police forces and the National Army and the government. But this reintegration wasn't all that effective. So many of these rebels or former rebels still feel loyalty to their former forces. And as a result, they still carry on the same amount of practices that they did in the past, including things like sexual violence and rape. So when they use sexual violence, what's their goal in using that? Rape and sexual violence are closely associated in the Congo with the actions of non-state armed groups. These groups often use sexual violence to enforce control over illicit economic activities, including the exploitation of natural resources. So greed and sexual violence are pretty intertwined in the Congo. In many instances, women and girls are targeted while doing simple things like walking to school or collecting firewood or water. So is there any way that women can go get help from the government in these circumstances? Like, does the law support them? Yeah, I mean, given that the police and army often perpetuate these acts of violence, there's not a lot of solace in going to them for protection. But the government did create a law against sexual violence in 2006. This law hasn't really been adequately enforced, though. There's also sort of been a hashtag MeToo movement in the Congo. This has helped to raise awareness of just the terrible trend of sexual violence that takes place there. But even with this movement, there are just so many systemic issues, again, with the police and the military and ongoing conflict. So we know that Kiko was raped as a child. Um, Is it the norm for children to be the victims of sexual violence, or is that typically older women? So research shows that actually 35% of victims of sexual violence are between the ages of 13 and 18. And 10% of these victims are 12 or younger. Chris, that's really, really hard to hear. And I know that for Kika, she was actually in elementary school. So she falls within that 10% of victims that you were talking about that are 12 years old or younger. While this is so difficult to hear, it's actually incredible that Kika is now working to support others who've gone through similar circumstances. I'm really, really excited about the work that God's doing through Heal Africa. When we last left Kika, she was confused and in anguish, lying on the Heal Africa hospital bed. Doctors and nurses comforted her and explained what had happened. From the first day, they sought to help her process the despair and frustration. Here at Heal Africa, when there is somebody a victim of a rape, the first thing to do is to provide psychosocial assistance. Then that's what I, I started by getting the first week I was here at Hill Africa. Then uh, they kept a permanent program of uh, counseling. I could come hear from them. They could also hear from me. And then they explained me what happened to me, trying to make it uh, livable for me. Every time the Heal Africa team steps up to a hospital bed, takes a temperature, or stitches a wound, They believe they care for a person made intimately and wonderfully in God's image. They hope their work will teach patients about their dignity and rights as children of God. The doctors, nurses, and counselors each know that the same Jesus who healed in the Gospels 
is alive in heaven today. He could bring restoration to Kika's body and give her hope. Within a week, the medical team at Heal Africa planned for Kika's first surgery. It was just the beginning of Kika's journey to restoration, as the Heal Africa team helped her recover from many health problems resulting from the rape. Since 2005 up to 2011, I was at Heal Africa being treated because I underwent 11 surgeries. Kika's care at Heal Africa revolved around the rape. The organization's work extends beyond gender violence. Heal Africa operates one of only three referral hospitals in the Congo. It offers tertiary care in their hospital, providing health services from general surgery to gynecology to orthopedics. Heal Africa also focuses on wider community development. It partners with over 90 remote clinics and hospitals to ensure health care is available in the rural area. In a province torn by gender-based violence and rape, it places a particular emphasis on women and children in the community. I find that uh, the work of Hill Africa is important in the community because they are trying to help vulnerable women and children, especially uh, concerning health care. As people are really poor here in DRC, Hill Africa is trying to provide care to them to help them overcome their need in health. Then that's why I find that the work of Hill Africa is really important. When people are assaulted or encounter environmental tragedies, Heal Africa often notices that victims don't have a safe home to return to. To address the danger, Heal Africa supports alternative safe residences. It also has a program aimed straight at eliminating the conflict-related violence that Chris and I mentioned earlier. It's called the Nehemiah Initiative, and it grows right out of the mission of Nehemiah in the Bible. Nehemiah has a vision to rebuild Jerusalem after it was destroyed. In verse 217, he says, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. Sound similar to the Congo, a country that has been fraught with war and rebel groups? The Heal Africa website says this biblical analogy has resonated well with local communities who have seen their families, villages, and landscapes torn apart. Community members form groups to solve issues like land ownership disputes, to stimulate economic recovery, or to help reintegrate victims of sexual abuse like Kika. Still, there is so much work to be done. The context has never changed. Uh, women are still being raped, and this leaves them in an extreme poverty. And this is how they become unable to afford medical care. So others should give to support the work of Hill Africa, because Hill Africa is trying to assist those vulnerable women and children in that way. It requires global 
approach, a global uh, assistance to people, especially women and children in this area of uh, DRC, so that they may perhaps come out from that situation. Heal Africa's care didn't stop at physical and mental health for Kika. They have also helped her reintegrate into the community and pursue her passions. For example, me, when I was raped, as I was still a kid, all they asked me was that if I was willing to go back to school, I said yes, and they took me back to school. I started studying, I continued, I got my state diploma, then nowadays I'm at university. For women who are already mature, they can integrate some vocational training like um, learning, sewing, uh, making some crafts, making some art. After teaching them that uh, vocational training, they give them some uh, income generating activities before they go back to their villages. Kiko was amazed how the nurses had cared for her when she was confused and in pain. She chose to study nursing in college so that she can soon offer the same care to others. After receiving her nursing diploma, she will study public health for a little while longer. I am studying this because when I came to Hill Africa, I didn't have any hope to get healed. So as I saw that, doctors and nurses helped me coming out from the problem I got, I saw it was good for me to with that same thing to other people who will be in need of assistance. Kika was so touched that Heal Africa not only cared for her physical health, but also helped her flourish again in life and in school. They worked knowing that they follow in the example of the ultimate healer, Jesus Christ. I dream to work at Heal Africa because there are so many children here that are being assisted so many vulnerable children and women. So it will be my pleasure to bring my contribution to the work in Africa is doing for those people. Even though she's not a nurse yet, Kika has already found a way to get involved in the work of Heal Africa. She volunteers because she believes it's the best way to thank the hospital for their generosity. So when I work with uh, children and vulnerable women here in Africa, I feel like I serve something and in that way I feel like I'm trying to pay something like a debt to the community through the work Hill Africa is doing in the community. Kika's story is one that Chris, Angela, and I are sorrowed to hear. In the Bible, King David, Jeremiah, and Job each give us models for expressing sorrow through laments. For our 3 a.m. theology today, we want to learn from them about expressing distress and anger to God while still trusting that he is all-powerful. We've told a lot of hard stories on Two Coins, but this one feels especially heartbreaking because it's an evil committed against a child, and Jesus has a special place in his heart for the children. So this one's especially difficult. I see what Kika's going through when... Um, I want to carry her story well and, um, and I want to empathize, but I know that I can't know what's going on, but, um, I've actually been learning a lot about lament recently. I listened to a podcast from Donna Harris and Andy Crouch and Donna Harris was speaking a lot about how as Christians, we know that God works for our sanctification and for our good. So we often want to go towards 
finding what God is teaching us in a circumstance. So if we're going through brokenness and pain, we'll say perhaps um, God is growing us towards patience or gentleness or kindness. But what Donna Harris was saying was that that's actually not always what we need to do because in that circumstance, we might not be allowing God to tell us um, his story and we might be creating this human idea for perhaps why we're going through pain or suffering. And I think that's really what we see with Job's friends, actually. That's what we see with Job's friends. Bringing it back to Job's friends from episode one. Well, we are bringing it back to Job's friends from episode one. I think they, you know, very um, helpful. But Job's friends are trying to find an answer for why Job is going through so much suffering. So is it that he didn't respect God or that he um, doesn't understand, he wasn't faithful enough or he did something evil? Mm -hmm. Really, it wasn't that he needed to look for like the specific sin that Job had done. That wasn't the reason for his suffering. And you just need to wait on the Lord in that circumstance. Christy, I love that you bring up Job's friends because remember what they did first when they were coming to, to be with Job. The first thing that they did was literally they sat there in silence with him for mm -hmm. an extended period of time. And I think that's instructive for us because it's easy for us thousands of miles away to pontificate about yeah. Kika and her situation. And, you know, 3AM theology, we throw around a lot of big words and we like to talk about theology. We all like to talk. That's why we're podcast hosts. But sometimes all we need to do is just be silent. Hmm. Yeah, this, this all reminds me of one of my favorite books, Brothers Karamazov by, <laughs> by uh, good old Theodore Dostoevsky. brings the book out. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> because there's this chapter in the book where... Um, two of the brothers, one of them who's an atheist and the other who's a Christian, have this whole conversation about evil in the world. And basically, the atheist brother, Ivan, is presenting his case for why he's rebelling against God. Mm -hmm. um, and he basically brings story after story of children who have suffered. All these horrific stories of people who have raped children and killed them and and he says, people talk sometimes of bestial cruelty, but that's a great injustice and insult to the beast. A beast can never be so cruel as a man, so artistically, so artfully cruel. The other brother is just sitting there silent. Ivan's argument is like a very valid one. Like mm -hmm. we shouldn't discount it. And a lot of times I think no. we, there's the danger that we just jump right to the happy ending. Like, we got the answer, we got the hope, and it's great, it's true, God's story is true. But if you don't listen to people, and you don't really sit in just the heartbreaking nature of it all, then it cheapens your answer. Yeah. Yeah, and when Andy Crouch and Donna Harris were actually talking about lament, they were talking about um, different elements that would be in that lament, and silence was one of them. So they said silence, rage, and trust were three things, um, not the only three things, but three elements of lament. And when you have those together, it's a really beautiful way to present your circumstance to God and to just cry out to the Lord in your pain. Um, that's a really different experience to have the trust alongside the rage. It feels kind of mm. unnatural for me mm. um, to do those at the same time. I think there's this tendency for people to think of a lament as sort of being antagonistic towards God. But now I think I've mm. come more to see that 
Lament isn't about being opposed to God. In fact, I think the greatest enemy to faith is not doubt even or anger at God. It's apathy. And I think oh, lament yeah. is powerful mm. because it, it brings mm. us back to, to refocus on God, even if it's in our anger and in our sorrow. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's so much in a lament that feels really ungodly and inappropriate. You know, I was looking for some laments in the Bible earlier, and a lot of the people in the Bible in their laments actually, um, it's hard to say, but they wish that they were dead. And that to me feels like something that would be really... I wouldn't want to present to the Lord. I would feel that that was ungodly. God wants us to be honest with him, though. Yeah. I mean, that honesty is, it's life-giving. Yeah, he wants us to come to him with all the why questions, because that's the mark of a healthy, communicative relationship. But honestly, whatever answer to the why we might reach on this side of heaven might not even be enough to counter the severity of the atrocity. So we grieve, knowing we don't have the full story right now, but we grieve with hope. Yeah. Angela, going back to your point about the, the search for why, I think a lot of times in our lament, what we really need is less of an answer and, and more of a person to be with us. And so yeah. I know in my own experience, what I really felt, even though I had these surface level questions of God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? At the very deepest level, I think I really want God to be present. And the thing is, in that moment, we don't need a God who is sitting in heaven. What we really need is a God who has nail pierced hands. And that's what we have in the Bible is is Jesus, God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Jesus, yeah, the God who weeps, the God who stumbles to the cross. And so I think that's the beauty in a way of the gospel is that God doesn't give us a canned answer, but really he gives us himself and himself bleeding and broken Mm. on the cross. Like Angela said earlier, we lament, but we also have hope. And we have the ultimate hope of the restoration of the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. And until then, we don't just sit around and twiddle our thumbs either, right? I mean, God has equipped us to do our tiny, tiny part in alleviating suffering where we are. And like John Hart of Praxis said back in episode two, bend a small corner of the world toward redemptive possibilities. Which reminds me, I actually recently completed the Praxis Academy program, and I had the opportunity to hear from Phoebe Miles, and she was talking about how the redemptive means going back to the bad and making it good. But she also brought up this really interesting point about the importance of ministering from our scars and not from our wounds. Mm. So basically, you can't work in an area that you're wounded in, right? The pain is too fresh. You're in recovery mode, so you can't be helping others. You're a mess. But God can grow you spiritually from that wound such that it eventually becomes a scar that gives you street creds, essentially. So since you've been in that situation, you can help others who are now in that situation. And that's exactly what God has done in Kika's life, right? I mean, she was raped as a child. She went through the unthinkable. And the healing process spiritual, physical, psychological, emotional, has been nothing short of a miracle. I mean, the fact that God healed her to the point that she now aspires to and is able to minister to others from her scars at the exact same hospital in the exact same place where she herself was treated immediately after her own trauma is absolutely incredible.
asked Kika why she wanted to share her testimony with us, and she told us that her recovery at Heal Africa wasn't just a medical process with surgeries and medicine. It wasn't just counseling or vocational training either. She says her recovery was God's intricate work in her life. Et c'est pour cela que je lui donne comme conseil de, d'avoir confiance en Dieu et de croire en Dieu. Kika just said that she's sharing her testimony to counsel others to trust and believe in God. C'est Dieu qui fait tout et c'est Dieu qui, qui a voulu que je puisse être vivant aujourd'hui. She said it's God that does all and it's God who wanted her to be alive today. J'aime partager mon histoire parce que when I underwent this story, I lost any hope of being healed one day and to become a normal person. So I share my story to bring back the hope that other women who underwent the same situation like me, to bring them that hope to get healed one day because God is operating miracles here for people with other people and organizations like Heal Africa. If Kika's story was meaningful for you, I encourage you to visit Heal Africa on Facebook, Instagram, or their website. You can support long-term community restoration and health in the Congo by donating to Heal Africa through Simple Charities website. And if you think it's important for other people to hear this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This will help get Kika's story to more listeners. I'd like to thank Kika Sansago for sharing her story with us, Bienfe for translating, Carmen Mew and Chris Quo for editing, Brian Grosso for leading us through the process, and Angela Tofik for editing, sound engineering, and illustrating. I'm Christy. And I'm Chris. We'll be back next episode to learn from Vadim Doshko about cell phones and spiritual wealth.